with drip tape. We were going to uh, use plastic culture also and raise the beds and put down plastic mulch over the beds to keep the weeds from growing in, but you know, other weeds. And, and we decided we're not gonna, we're not gonna need that. The canopy from the plant um, branches was going to keep out any weed growth. The, we went with drip tape because it's the root structure of the plant that really makes it grow, that really makes it go. So we said, let's use drip tape and let's get the water right where it's needed at the root. Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. And we're live. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I always crack up at that last commercial. It just reminds me of 2022 and all the great interviews and all the quirky things I've said and done. And so it always starts my day off right before our interview. <laughs> but Jimmy, thank you so much for joining. I'm excited to have you today. Um, I want to real quick remind before we get started and dive into all the things that Jimmy's done down in Florida and the experience he's had. I want to encourage if you guys have questions, don't hesitate to drop a note. Let us know where you're chiming in from. Um, we are going to share contact information. So it's a great way to build relationships. But tomorrow, also for tomorrow's interview, and we've got a great interview where we log in and do a Q&A about the European market next week. You can find all of those interviews and links for our upcoming events that we'll both be attending and hosting on our website for Friends of Hemp and Global Hemp Association. So I just want to give a shout out, go out there, find some information that you may be looking for. Um, also some great connections as members. There's a whole member portal that is back behind the website with a resource library, additional meetings with transcribed notes for all of our roundtable discussions. So lots of great info in there. We've had lots of contacts lately, lots of new members. Uh, shout out also to our newest um, uh, corporate member, First Citizens Bank. I'm excited to see them at NOCO and be, be co-hosting some events. And so shout out there as well. Hey, Jimmy, before I ramble on too much, I want to hand the stage over to you. I'm excited about your story and you've done. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you've done, and how you got into this industry. Hi, good morning, Mandy. Thank you for having me. Uh, first, let me say I, I really do thank you for your courage and your foresight in establishing Global Hemp Association. I, I really do wish that an asso the association had been around when we were starting out our grow back in uh, 2019. Um, the way that we got into it is that fa uh, traditionally my family's been farmers mm -hmm. and we have still own a great bit of land uh, in, in North Florida. And we had stopped farming uh, in favor, more in favor of education. So I still had a few farmers in the family, but I didn't want to lose that farming tradition. And I saw the crop of hemp as a way of cycling in something new for the modern day to draw in the younger uh, generation in our family that's still here and still wants to be involved in things like this. And the state of Florida jumped in after the 2014 Obama Farm Bill granted the right for research colleges to grow industrial hemp as part of state pilot projects. Yeah. And that is essentially what the book is about, was how our family farm was fortunate enough to become a farming 
partner and to participate in Florida's industrial hemp, the inaugural year of the Florida Industrial Hemp Pilot Project, we were able to join through FAMU, Florida A&M University. Okay, tell me what book. We haven't talked about this awesome book. <laughs> we jumped into what's there, but yeah, tell me about this book. This Green book right here. I'm sorry, Green Rush Fever yeah. in the Red Hills of North Florida. That's the book I wrote, and that basically catalogs my family's entry point into the cannabis community. Uh, traditionally, one of the things we grew was sugarcane. And at the beginning of the book, I talk about how we grew sugarcane and, and actually boiled it ourselves as a cottage industry here in Florida, where you can sell honey on the side of the road without a license or tomatoes or whatever you have. In Florida, as a farmer, you can do that. Well, uh, we were hoping to do the same with hemp, but of course, the overregulation of the plant did not allow us to do that. And in the pilot project, one of the resources and part of our research was the commercialization of the plant here in the state. Mm -hmm. And and we were looking at mostly the CBD factor of it. Uh, we were growing for CBD oil in extraction. Mm -hmm. We weren't growing for the fiber, but... Uh, that's mostly what the book is about, our research and what wow. we came up with from selecting the right genetics all the way to harvesting and drying. So talk to me about some of the greatest lessons, things you've overcome and challenges that really impacted the opportunity or potential of this. One of the biggest was, and, and I think uh, you, you've heard about it, is the difficulty that you can have in growing this plant, this magnificent plant in this humid climate. Even in North Florida, there's mm -hmm. still a lot of Florida's humidity here. And in North Florida, we also have the extra challenge that we're dealing with red clay as the soil, not a very loose or easily uh, tillable type of material to grow in. Um, but we were able to do it successfully using a lot of, of farming knowledge with heavy tilling, just getting in there and really working the ground and prepping it before we decided to put the plants in the ground. And once we were able to understand that part and also to make sure that the plants were properly watered, uh, had to put in a whole irrigation system, um, couldn't just depend on God's rainwater. <laughs> we had to put in an irrigation system. But those were a couple of the biggest challenges that we had initially. And then after that, uh, it was my first time. Uh, you know, I really don't have a green thumb. I'm a lawyer. I, I sit at a desk and read, you know. So yeah. so the biggest challenge. Is <laughs> so for me, it was learning how to grow a plant and keep it alive. A yeah. field full of plants. Yeah. You know, it's always interesting. You said something that was really misleading uh, in the beginning, right? That hemp doesn't need any water. It can grow anywhere. Yeah, talk to me about, you know, this need for irrigation and what did you guys do? Did you guys do drip tape or did you do do uh, pivot? What, what worked best? We, work, we worked with drip tape. We were going to uh, use plastic culture also and raise the beds and put down plastic mulch over the beds to keep the weeds from growing in, but, you know, other weeds. And, and we decided we're not going to need that. The canopy from the plant um, branches was going to keep out any weed growth. The, we went with drip tape because it's the root structure of the plant that really makes it grow, that really makes it go. So we said, let's use drip tape and let's get the water right where it's needed at the roots. And the fact that, you know, the summer, the, the, the summer sun and the sun here in Florida is really hot. 
Um, that's a misnomer, just like you said, that the hemp doesn't need water. Uh, if you're growing wild hemp or ruderalis or some other variety that's really not going to be commercialized, sure, you don't need water. But for us to really get the best volume out of our crop and to really get some great plants, which we did, we needed to water and we needed to water a lot, even without using fertilizer to wash the chemicals out. We didn't use much fertilizer, but we still needed to, to shoot a lot of water to our plants because the sun was just baking them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you said something else, right? Yield is what our farmers are paid on. If we're not producing a good yield, it's it's really a moot point and nobody's going to be able to, to continue the, you know, it's no longer sustainable. So um, talk to me, are you guys interested or what's what's progressing now in the in Florida specifically moving from CBD production to potential fiber or grain production? Have you seen any of that? And what's your experience there? I have heard a lot of people wanting to make the pivot. And I just came back from a farmer uh, participant event that was held here, a small event, but there are still about a good 10 to 15 individuals who want to farm okay. this coming season. Uh, they want to, but they all have the same questions about where am I going to sell my crop? What can I do with it? Um, to a number of them had thought they wanted to go into CBD production, but they understand that there's really been a bust on the market just because of the glut, the oversupply, even with what winds up ending up in Florida is bad product. You know, by the time it gets to Florida, it's very bad. Um, so there when is a push. People you want to grow. When you say bad, uh, by the time the flower gets here, if they have not transported it correctly, it's got mold, it's dried out, it's all browned out, um, or it just wasn't good when they initially decided to store it. Um, you know, and covering the distance, it's coming from Colorado, it's coming from Washington State, uh, it's coming from far, far, far away, not even Kentucky or Tennessee. Those those, those producers have an outlet right there. But it, the further away producers, it, for some reason, their product makes it down to Florida. And it's in the stores, it's in the smoke shops, but it really doesn't look great. It, it doesn't look too good. Not as good as if it was grown here, homegrown in the state. And that's the thing that a lot of the growers and, and, and potential prospective producers want to do is be able to have their own grows here in the state. And it, it is very, very legitimate and it's very feasible. Are you seeing more success in Northern Florida? I wouldn't say necessarily that there's more success in Northern Florida. Um, and that is because the infrastructure still is not there for the farmer to be able to get their revenue, even a small margin of their grow back out of the crop once they've harvested. Um, you know, when you're farming, it all depends on what you get out of the ground. You got to turn around and sell it so that you can buy your inputs and your fertilizer, your supplements and everything for the next grow. And in North Florida, that hasn't really fallen into place well enough for there to be as big a push as we would have wanted. And, and we need the regulations, we need the regulatory environment to really get much better so that the processing power comes to North Florida, so that the processors come here, so, so that we have more of an infrastructure built. Okay, so I have a couple of questions, right? When we talk about viability, especially for a fiber crop, right? Which is a lot less per acre than what the CBD crop was originally getting. What are competing crops in your area that hemp will need to buy space away from or buy acres away from? You know, I would it, say- It's not corn. I'm, I'm sorry, assuming. go ahead. 
I was just saying it's not corn. No. I'm assuming. So yeah, what what are no. yeah what are your what are your farmers currently growing that they would either use hemp as that rotation or substitute hemp? Right, our farmers are now, and it's our larger producers. They are growing tomatoes. They are growing strawberries. They are growing um, a few are growing corn, but it, that's you know we're not a big corn state. Um, you do still have a few citrus producers who have who are still growing uh, their citrus crops pretty well, um, and it's more so you could say the traditional crops that are are acclimated to this climate. Those are the competing crops, and most of the because of the remediation effect that the that the cannabis plant has, and I, I won't explain it. I know you, you have a very savvy audience, but the remediation effect of the plant, there's a lot of current farmers who want to put hemp or cannabis in their rotation so that it can pull any toxins out of their soil, so that it can help make their soil better for their next uh, money-making crop, even if hemp is not the money-making crop. So if they actually find out that fiber will even break even, you're going to find that a lot of the commercial producers who produce the orange juice, uh, who produce the watermelons and the peanuts, which are big down here, all of those crops, they will put in a rotation of hemp just to draw out any toxins and draw and, and, and help stabilize their soil and get a better amendment there. You know, and I think that you hit on so many key points, right? It's not just hemp we're looking at. We're looking at the entire rotation and how does it impact disease pressure or like you said, soil quality or increasing yields on the rotation. Um, I think it becomes a very powerful tool. And there's so many, you know, you and I talked earlier about this idea of mobile decortication and the benefit that it may have to, especially small farmers, to increase the value of that crop that they're going to sell. But then what about even being able to use the biomass or the herd as an additive to the soil that then puts you know, carbon back into the soil or mixing it with manure as a fertilizer, you know, being able to add that or embedding for their, you know, grazing for their animals that they may have. So there's so many pieces that aren't just the transaction of the purchase of hemp, right? But how is that impacting all of the, you know, the entire cycle? So can you speak to maybe what you've heard? Of, you know, you mentioned some of those, but what you've heard or even at the farmers meeting, some of the concerns or questions you, you were hearing about hemp coming in? The, what what I've heard, the biggest concern is, is that everyone wants to get to these different uses. Um, mm -hmm. Livestock, cattle are big here in Florida still. So mm -hmm. the bedding, uh, definitely. And uh, we have what's here in Tallahassee, Florida, where I'm at, the Red Hills Horse Trials, which I believe is an Olympic event for the equestrian It's class. the horse mecca, like the horse <laughs> capital of the world. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. You spoke about my interest just now in the Florida market. <laughs> there you go. You know, okay. the equine market yeah. or the animal bedding market is, is booming in Florida. We had, and we were talking to those folks when we were growing, because of course, you know, CBD, they didn't want that, but we had talked to them about, look, when we pivot to, to fiber, yeah. is this something that you want? And they loved it. And everyone wants to get to it. The, the biggest issue, as you said, is mobile decortication. Uh, you have to have the processing. And, and, and it's difficult for the farmers to, because it's not a traditional crop and they haven't worked with it before, it's difficult to understand. Once I chop it down, what do I do with it? 
And if it's something that takes me out of my wheelhouse, it's going to cost me money. If it takes me out of my normal routine, it's going to cost more money because I have to pull the labor here. I have to pull the machinery here. So so part of our research was going to get into that side of it in the research program. What we found out is that the politicization and the stigma of the plant is always the biggest stumbling block because you have to get past the legislature when you're in a pilot program. It's all overseen by the legislative process. So, you know, the universities, we're not in Oregon, where there's Oregon State, which is doing wonderful work. We're not even in North Carolina, where they still are doing wonderful work with their pilot project. We're in Florida. And Florida's kind of different when it comes to the po political side of it. And we've, as a state, have struggled, uh, even with the, the, the House, uh, the, the, the Senate leader at the time pushing forward in his state of Kentucky, we still couldn't get the dissension in our state on board, uh, the dissenters to, on board to understand that you can't keep the stigma on the plant and also expect to grow the industry. Okay, so talk to me about this stigma. It's something that is an association we talk about all the time and I'm passionate about because again, as, as so many of our farmers, processors are out trying to recruit farmers, um, you know, processors are trying to move material into market. As soon as we bring up the word hemp, people say, oh, CBD, oh, you extract, or oh, you smoke, you know? So talk mm -hmm. to me about in what is it in your, you know, viewpoint or in your perspective that the consumers need to hear and what type of campaign needs to go out to really change the narrative to sustainability or carbon footprint or, you know, regenerative agriculture, climate smart practices. I, I think that all of those things are what the consumers need to hear because that's what I have heard. The echo that comes back from, you could say the cannabis curious who, you know, part of the crowd that I wrote my book for uh, the cannabis curious like they, they hear it and they understand that bioplastic, hemp bioplastics are, are their future for sustainability of our planet. They understand the fact that even when it comes to fibers and they hear the stories about polyester being toxic on their kids and on themselves. And they understand that that these things are our better way that if you're going to eat organic food, if you're going to go non GMO, then you want to do it with every facet of your life. So so it's it's the, the audience understands and hears it. It's the big money that comes in from big pharma, that comes in from big ag, the large commercial farming corporations, those kind of things. Um, and, and they're tantamount to corporate, sabi uh, corporate sabotage because they are angling for their products to still take the lead the way in those markets. And, and it's not necessarily, they're not profitable or beneficial to hemp. And, and the hemp industry. So they want to kill it in every chance they get. That's that's where the attack really has to be leveled at, that lobbying money. Those interests have to be discounted and damped down for hemp to be able to grow. I really, I hate to say that, but I really honestly believe that. Well, I appreciate that opinion and the feedback, you know, and I think that really this is where, you know, where do we as a community and as hempsters or people working in the industry to drive you know, localizing supply chain or, you know, better, more sustainable materials that are not literally killing our oceans, right? Um, what, right. how do we come together and really make that change? And, and I think it is, it's a matter of collaboration and unifying our message. Yes, yes.
Yeah, I agree. That's right. Go ahead. No, no, no. I I was going to say your organization does just that. It's fantastic. Um, But once I I found you, I've been running with the message saying, oh, you got to check the website. They are so, you know, they're on top of it. Um, Things like, I believe, in China, uh, in Asia, they don't test hemp if its usage is going to become a dashboard. If it's going to become char or or betting or, you know, it's going to be. And we said that initially in the pilot project, they said, if, if you grow hot, if your crop comes up over the 0.3 percent, you got to burn it all. And I said, why not just let us till it back into the ground and, and, and mulch it under? You can watch us chop it all up. Nobody's going to smoke it. We're going to chop it, mulch it down and we're going to put it right back in the ground. And they said, why would you do that? And we we're like, that's what the plant does. It's a supplement. It will help the soil. So let us do that. And and we were resoundingly told no, that we that if we grew a hot crop, we had to burn it. And uh, fortunately, we didn't have to do that. Um, but there hmm. is still a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the beneficial effects of what this super plant can do, whether sure. you put it in your body or whether you put it back into the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to give a shout out. You're just talking about how, you know, in China and other countries, they're not testing the crop if it's being registered to be grown as, say, a char or a building material or a textile. Um, I need. I want to give a shout out to IND Hemp and Agriculture Solutions and National Hemp Association for really leading the charge on the hemp exemption. It's basically a campaign to to do just what you said. If a farmer registers his crop as a fiber or grain crop and follows those rules, you know, and the supply chain into those materials, you are no longer required certain, it basically limits the barrier of entry for a farmer, you know, with less, less testing, uh, less fingerprints, you know, they're treated more like an agriculture commodity. And so, I, I think it's critical. So I'm just going to encourage, I'll share the link really her, real quick right here, but go out and support this campaign, look into it, uh, understand it. If we can limit that barrier for entry, and I'm curious, Jimmy, what your impact was with the, you know, the exorbitant testing fees or uh, prices or the licensing and background checks. Um, how did that impact you or any farmers that you worked with? Um, and how could this potentially open up that market in Florida? One of the things that I talked about, and I'm going to show this again. One of the things that I yeah. talked about in the book was as a black farmer, because you have that extra stigma of cannabis and substance uh, controlled substances and minorities, that having that, that extra uh, prejudicial oversight by law enforcement that actually is a chilling effect on new farmers and prospective farmers and people wanting to get involved. So, so those types of things would keep people from wanting to grow and keep people. So those exemptions would be very clutch in drawing in new farmers because you tell them, look, you don't have to test as much. Now, as a, as a research farming partner in the pilot project, Initially, because we were testing new varieties in Florida, everything coming into Florida then was new. We were testing every week. Once we hit the fourth fourth week of our plants being in the ground, we were testing every week. Um, And the cost was just, oh, is incredible cost back then. And from what and it still is. It it costs a lot to the point where we decided that we needed our own lab. We needed to get our own testing machines. Um, And and, and Mm -hmm. that's what our group did. We grew in a group. And we had our own machines. Of course, you know, we couldn't take that to the state and say, we're, you know, that we're compliant. 
but we knew that we were compliant before we ever sent it to the state. Right. Right. And well, it was a heavy cost. You know, we had a lot of, a lot of, and I've heard a lot. I'm from Utah where testing was misread. Uh, the numbers wow. were, were incorrect. <laughs> and there were some farmers forced to destroy crop on a bad test. Right. And so mm. I think what you did, you know, especially in the beginning, gives yourself some reassurance and a voice because you've yeah. got record and you've got, yeah, some legitimacy knowing before you're sending it in. But ideally, you know, if, if I'm growing just like grapes, I'm not regulated as if I'm already growing right. wine, right? Or right, poppy. right. poppies, I can grow poppy in my garden, no problem. It's not until it becomes right. another substance that it's regulated differently. And so I would like to see, and I again, I encourage go out and check out hempexemption.com. Um, there's a great group behind it. It's got lots of great information, but it really is about, you know, normalizing the crop as an agriculture commodity. And so, yeah, opens the doors big time. So tell me a little bit, I want to dive into your family dynamic and the farm and how, you know, what are plans in the next year, two years, five years? The, our family dynamics, uh, the farmers in our family had gotten older, uh, as, as I spoke about earlier. So yeah. one of the things I wanted to do in returning to Florida after being a big city prosecutor was to get more of the younger family members involved in the farming. And, and everyone wanted to take to it, and then the pandemic hit. And on a family farm, your labor uh, your, your labor are your family members. Uh, they're, they're very close. And we took a hit with the panty. Uh, we had some members who, who really, I got sick. I was sick for about six months during our harvest. When we harvested in November 20, 2019, I caught COVID and didn't know I had it. It was the worst flu I had in my life, you know, and um, all the hallmarks were there, but I, there was no COVID testing. You didn't know yet. And yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and it, it took me out of the equation and it also took mm -hmm. out several of the other members of the family who were assisting. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in a still recovery mode of, of getting back up to speed. And a lot of farmers in our area pivoted to their traditional crops as the pandemic started. And they have not turned away from it yet because of the shortages that are in the market for traditional crops, for good traditional crops. They have not pivoted back because they look at the hemp market and they say, where would we go to process this if we're going to grow for fiber? Um, CBD has been on a bust and the, its prices are way down, not even break even for the farmer. So our family members have looked at it in a farming sense and said, we're not going to put our money we, we lost a good bit of money and they don't want to lose any more money behind the crop. We can't afford to, uh, even especially with shortened a short bench on our labor side. So we want to get back in, desperately want to get back in. But the market has to be right. You know, the, 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 the infrastructure needs to be a little bit better than where it is. And um, we're sure it's going to get there. Our advocacy, your great advocacy and, and the other organizations helps push the ball down the field. They just can't keep moving the goalposts on us, you know? Down. I feel like we're rolling a boulder uphill. <laughs> <There is>. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of that, but yes, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, 
So when we talk about our traditional crops, I want to kind of understand, you know, what is that price point that farmers are, that we're competing with? What is hemp competing with to move into a market in Florida? You know, because wheat and corn and soybean are at record high. So we understand in order to buy space away from the grain silos or acreage, you know, where we kind of need to be to compete there. But what about some of these other crops that are more that are grown in Florida. You know, I call it like the fruits and vegetables compared to the. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. And, and I might be of a different mind. I, I'm, I'm not a farmer myself per se. Yeah. And I never went into agribusiness um, as my undergrad yeah. background, that my undergrad background, economics and stuff like that. Um, so when I do talk to the folks who know mm -hmm. about these things, one of the things that they tell me is that it's going to be really hard for hemp as a crop to outpace the big four large commercial farming corporations and what they want farmers to grow because that's where the money is. And at the end of the day, you know, most farmers still get their inputs almost on loan. They take out money in order to get the next grow underway in order to get the next crop underway. And if it's not a sub federally subsidized crop, then you are entirely dependent on the market forces and you're not going to be able to outbid or outprice the the uh, black eyed peas, the watermelons or the tomatoes. Not yet. And, and, and that's only because the economies of scale are still with the, you know, the larger producers. Um, from what I understand, if the market, because it's still a niche market that if, if the market in the industry were to start off at a walk and grow itself, um, you know, very much, very dynamically and organically within the state and region, as it has to be with a footprint to 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 change over practices and to undo the stigma and create and allow the consumers who are there who want to purchase the goods, allow them to to make their demand known. That's how the industry could really get a good foothold in this state. Just like we're saying with the equestrian here in, in Florida and in Ocala, which is a, you know, it's a couple hundred miles away from Tallahassee. Right. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, right. And they're, they're several hundred miles away. So you really would not be able to serve both markets efficiently with one hemp farm. You'd need hemp farms in both areas because there's that kind of demand from the equestrian market. But you have to grow it organically. You have to let the industry grow organically. And there is going to need to be something from the state in order to help push the ball, push, push that boulder up that hill. You know, uh, something to allow the farmers to recoup, reset and, and then retrench and grow another crop and get better at, it, you know, because farming is a practice. It is a practice, but it might be that that in Florida, it has to be a craft industry at first, much like the craft beer. It has to be a craft industry at first in order to really get a good hold and let the consumers show the market. This is the way that it should go. Yeah. So that then we're pulling instead of pushing. Right. Then we've got. Exactly. Locally. Um, yeah. And, and I do. I think that takes time. Where do you think market is in order to open that up? How long? You know, what, oh, what From what I understand, and I've heard several different model plans, it could actually happen very quickly. 
under under our former agricultural commissioner, Nikki Freed, who's a wonderful commissioner, uh, our first woman commissioner, but she was fantastic. And there was plans on the board to to actually envelop the state in in processing power and to get processors set up regionally throughout the state well, so that farmers got, didn't have to go too far. They got a grant. Nikki's involved in that grant for, with Iconoclast yes. and exactly for that part of the climate smart commodities. And so shout out to them. And I really hope that they're able to develop that Florida market. And I know they're working with universities and multiple other States, but yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. And that's where, it, that's where we're at. And that's what, where it needs to go. As long as the politicians don't get in our way anymore. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so insurance. One, I think this is one huge piece, right? And shout out to Kansas. They've done an incredible job at insuring and making sure that hemp is an insurable crop. Where where are you at with Florida? And was this a really big challenge? You talk about, you know, the lending and the banking, you know, in order to secure your next year's crop. But what about insurance for the crop? Yes, that was a that was a big hang up for the legacy farmers in our family and 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 they're they weren't cannabis legacy farmers <laughs> they were right. traditional farmers right. right but they were traditional farmers and they understood about crop insurance they work with the usda they're everybody's farmers registered and insurance was a big issue they said what happens if and we did not have a safety net you know we were flying by the seat of our pants and I have not heard of any major change I'm hoping is it the safe act or the hope act uh, in, in, in the 118th Congress. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in the 118th, that one of those acts, we're hoping that they come through so that the insurance and the financial market, the F&I market really corrects itself and provides some kind of help for the farmers so that we do have crop insurance and that we can insure our commercial farms and, and insure them against any kind of disaster. Okay, from your experience and what you've seen, right, understanding it may not be your expertise, but how do we keep, you know, the big companies in farming or agriculture from coming in and taking over, say, seed production or production of, you know, a genetically modified crop? You know, where, how, how do we as citizens maintain more ownership? I think the first thing that we have to do is to push for home grow laws so that we can grow our own strains. We can grow our own varieties. If we want to create a hybrid on our own property and on our own farms, then let's let us do it. Uh, as long as it's compliant, raise that, that, that threshold of THC threshold limit to 1%, get that out of the way. Um, once well, we you do those couple, Again, though, if we're if we're putting a, an exemption in, right, the THC level then becomes irrelevant on some of this. Exactly. If we're growing for a fiber crop for building materials, and my crop tests hot, I'm going to let it rot in the field as I as I read it. I almost couldn't remember right. the word "reading," <laughs> but as a <laughs> thing, the, that that hot material is rotting in the field or being tossed out the back of the combine, and so. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I so guess it, is that one percent when we're looking at you know grain and fiber crop? 
Right, it's not. And and I think for to 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 really to pull this back out of the hands of big pharma and big ag that you really do have to make it accessible to your small farmers that mm-hmm. the future of of hemp and even though it's called industrial hemp which sort of begs the response that industrial what does that part mean? That's a question I'm always asked. What does the industrial part mean? And I say that usually means big farming. That big ag, you know, that that you're doing not just 50 acres, you're doing 200 acres of it. And that's what it implies that even though it's called industrial hemp, you do have, I think if it is allowed to be, to exist and be maintained on smaller size farms and that those smaller size farms are able to get it to market, that that will keep it from completely being overtaken by the larger corporate outfits. Yeah. We've got to be able to stabilize our small farmers and we're seeing it across farming. I saw an ad the other day that really hit home. It was two jars with M&Ms in them. And one was the number of people that need to be fed. And the other one was Mm. the number of people that feed all of the the Mm. globe. And it was like a couple of M&Ms in the jar to a full jar of people we're trying to feed. And and the reality of ownership of land and the opportunity hemp brings to small farmers, right? To be able to add that new crop or another revenue source. Um, yeah, it's pretty impact. It's it's what I'm most passionate about is seeing farmers like yourself be able to be successful at a smaller scale without having to give up the farm to a Monsanto. Right, right. Or even just rely on Monsanto for all of your inputs and seed and everything else. If you can just rely on it. And that's for- I mean, you're, you're usually very resourceful and you're self you're self sufficient, and and if 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 we allow hemp to exist in that space, I think it will continue to grow. It will continue to gain ground. For sure, absolutely. Okay, I had a really great question. Um, wondering, hi, is it possible to use hemp for animal feed? Yes, and I want to give a shout out to uh, Hemp Feed Coalition, who is doing a ton of work. I'll share the link here so you have it, um, but a ton of work to bring hemp feed into commercial production and and really what it will do to open the market. But uh, and it, I am not the expert, but man, every time I learn more and more about the benefit of feed, you know, hemp feed to animals for nutritional value, especially the equine markets where. People are paying twenty, ten, you know, thirty thousand dollars to take care of their animals. It is no big deal to make sure that their performance animals are fed the best nutritional, you know, supplements. And hemp is right up there at the top, and so it's pretty impressive. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see, especially knowing as big as the equine market is in Florida, you know, how to really open it up. It's yeah, it's a challenge for sure. Um, we we had our group, our growing group in the pilot pro project, because it was a research project, we developed a hemp 101 farming course. And oh. um, it was it was just to try to get rid of the stigma and to make more people aware of the wonderful uses for hemp. And we did have a PowerPoint slide that dealt specifically with foraging and and livestock and growing hemp in, in a very unmaintained, no, no drip tape, no anything else. Just like you said, put it out there and let the goats get to it. Let the cattle get to it. Let them eat it along with whatever else they're eating. And we had a lot of livestock producers who were very interested. And that was outside the equestrian market. They were very interested because they understood that when you look at what your, what your livestock eats 
and and you can turn around and tell the people who are going to buy the livestock that they've eaten the best, it goes for a higher price. It, it makes all the difference. That's why everybody's looking at organic foods now and organically grown cage free and, and all other kind of things with their meats and, and their meat products that they look at it and say, what did that animal eat before I'm getting ready to eat it? And hemp is one of the top, top foods you could feed your livestock. Right. Well, and that's what's so crazy, right, is it's considered grass generally regarded as safe for us to consume. But in some states, it is not considered grass for our animals to consume. And uh, again, I give shout out to Hemp Feed Coalition. They have put together an incredible group of research, you know, uh, professors and doctors that have done years of studies now to show where that impact actually is and are we getting a trace of say TV, CBD or THC in the meat source that then we could potentially consume and what does weaning look like and what's that time frame and so it it again is less and less threatening uh, to consumers from research however we still have some obstacles. We definitely have some politics to come over to get over. Um, and, and, you know, supporting Hemp Feed Coalition goes a long way in getting those applications submitted to open up markets for, say, laying hens or beef, you know, cattle. Um, yeah. It, so go out, support them as well. Another great organization that's doing great things, but really focused on the animal feed market. So it's pretty impressive. So, Jimmy, tell me what you have going on in this next, you know, what's the future look like for you on the hemp side, on, you know, your career side? What's next? Uh, I'm still writing. So oh. I'm working on a couple of projects simultaneously. And one of the projects is a children's book oh. um, that's based on hemp, hemp farming. And uh, that's that's still in the works and trying to get uh, our family back into growing commercially for hemp outside of the research pilot project. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a serious undertaking because the amount of preparation that, that we understand needs to go into it beforehand. And then the, the, the politics of, of the situation, you know, we don't want to lose our family land because some regulator decides they're just going to be hyper about the plant and that's still occurring the stigma is still there so we are in the the midst of of marshalling all of our resources together to look at a grow this year we haven't grown the past couple of years the pandemic just took took mm -hmm. us out with with a lot of illness some mm -hmm. death in our family um and that rocks you to the core and for a small family farm you can think of the waltons almost in in that sense what would have happened if you'd lost john boy or Mary Ellen at, at, at the time for harvesting, you know, that you can't get everything out of the field. You can't get everything in the field and you can't get it out of the field. So mm -hmm. we're still working through uh, some of those issues and making sure we marshal everything into the right path in the right way so that we can successfully do this. And and we did it successfully last time. Um, and we know we, we, we want to get back to it again. Okay, so I, I'm going to put this call out for those processors that are in the area, and I know that there's a number of you that have received grants from Climate Smart Commodities that already have purchase contracts for the product, or are willing to pay a little bit of a higher price to make sure that it's transported or to be able to transport because acreage is so sparse. Um, how do people get in touch with you, Jimmy, if they're like, hey, I really want to see if this can work, if we can help get the acre ground here in Florida? How do people connect? 
please go to the my website at www.jimmy-jenkins.com and there i do have my social media links uh, for Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and send me a note there. Send me a DM, send me a message and let me know you want to make contact and I'll be more than happy to, to yeah. reach, reach out to you. Okay. Well, I'm going to make some connections personally as well um, for people that are within our advisory group and Global Hemp Association that I know are looking for acres in the South. And then hopefully we can get some acres put in the ground for you, or at least a few this year and then, you know, advance and move up. Because I'm with you. Florida is really in the chicken and egg scenario, right? There is no (laughs) processing in North Florida. Um, because there's not a lot of acres being grown in North Florida. <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, there's not. And there's got to be the outlet for us here. And that's what I did find, that a lot of the hard farmers here said, we have to have a market. Um, they heard about the international exchange in Tennessee, how poorly that went. And now farmers, and that was a couple of years back, yeah. how poorly that went. And, and that's stuck in everybody's craw. They were like, well, we can't do that. We can't afford to do that again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to send some connections and see if I can't help. And if it's not this year, hopefully it'll be next year. But um, I had another question. If there's farmers listening in the Florida area, how do they get connected to the group meetings that you were mentioning earlier? You know, how do um, they resources locally that may, may support? I would say stay in touch with your local farming groups. Uh, stay in touch with the folks who this one was actually done through one of the medical marijuana dispensary managers getting together. Uh, Several managers got together and they said, you know what, we just wanna get a growing group together. I'd say keep an eye open in your uh, extension offices and Mm -hmm. talk to your extension agents. They will normally have some kind of information. Uh, And if there are outlets, if there are hemp associations in your area, definitely contact those folks. Uh, the universities, the University of Florida and Florida A&M University are also great outlets to get in contact and find out more about groups of farmers who are gathering to, to, to talk through these issues, to, to try to keep themselves um, in the loop about what's going to happen with the genetics and what's going on with the industry up to this point. Well, I'm making notes of people. Somebody else just popped in my mind that's, again, looking for acres in Florida. And so and not going into the animal bedding market that I'd like to see developed down there, but definitely going into biofuels and composites and textiles. So I'd love to support. So what, what advice would you give somebody in the industry now? You came into the industry with an outside perspective, right? Coming from you know law and, and the economic side. Um, Talk to me about advice that you have as somebody wanting to really build and knowing we're at the forefront of this, where opportunity is really just starting to rear its head. I would say diversity. If if you're in the industry now and you are looking for where your growth and it's going to come from, I would say look toward your diversity. Of, of what you're looking at. Because those who started out like we did looking at CBD oil extraction, we are already looking at the next crop in the ground is gonna be for fiber. 
which do, would involve us changing up some of the practices that we did in our other grow, but we, we'd be looking at fiber. And, and that's just a diversity of the, the growing goals of what we're looking to grow for. I would say you want to look at diversifying your, your inputs and your producers because you don't know where that next market is. One of the markets that we're actively, I have a couple of preachers in my family and one of the things that, yeah, one of the things that we found out when we got our crop out of the ground was that a lot of the boomers who were in the churches loved having the hemp salve, having the topicals for their aching joints and, yeah. and their soreness and pains because they no longer wanted the opio opioid pills. Mm -hmm. So so that was a whole different audience that once we said, well, we're not going to grow, they were really bummed about it. They were really heartbroken that we didn't weren't able to go back in and do a secondary follow-up grow. And that is a market that that we know that that we've sort of we, we're touching and we have very close association with with several of the churches in the area, but we want to get it off the ground. And and those pastors say that there shouldn't be a stigma. They understand that there should not be a stigma on the plant and they want to be involved. And, and that's a great, you know, that's a whole African American community of folks who would love to buy the product, who would love to have it. But um, the stigma is there and the commercial market infrastructure has to be available. Um, and and we, we want to desperately break in further to that market. What do you think, and this is just an opinion, right? But I'm curious from you, what is the end material that's going to pull this market, right? Is it a composite? Is it a textile? What's What's, in your opinion, that material that will give industry that, pull instead of us pushing that boulder you know when do we really start to hit that peak because we've got market i, I think it's really two if not three pronged okay. um especially it, given the way that the society has changed from the pandemic yeah. i think it's three pronged um i think one of the one of the areas strongest areas bioplastics we have a plastic problem in this country in the world we have a plastic problem petroleum-based plastic problem. And we have to solve that or else we're going to, you know, follow our own demise. So I think that's going to be something that the nations around this globe are going to jump on. And hemp is right there ready for it. And the larger producers who are able to get the, bi to get the biomass to the to the manufacturer to make those plastics is really going to see their, their, their revenue jump from that. The other area is foods. I think that replacing some of the modified seed that in modified agricultural products that are out there with a more organically grown hemp uh, is going to replace things like wheat. You can use hemp flour instead of wheat flour for people and and, and hemp grains. Those types of things are, are really, I think, going to make a big difference. And both yes. of those things that you've mentioned so far have consumer education attached to them. Right. Like yes. the plastics problem yes. is staring us in our face and our kids are 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 voting with their dollars to make that change. Exactly. Right? Same with exactly. same with plant based foods and the need for not necessarily transitioning from beef, but this whole nutritional value that comes from yes. organic plant based foods. <laughs> Right, right. And then I think the third area is 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 going to come with further research with the plant that the fact that it's a remediator that it was that hip was <laughs> that Ukraine who is under siege right now that they planted hemp around Chernobyl. 
Hemp was planted in Chernobyl to clear the toxins out of the ground, and it's been successful. And they are farmers that that doing things like that, um, that helps push that boulder up that hill. And that lets the the, the other like we said, it, it becomes more so the market pulls the, the, the product along because the audience and the cons consumer sees just what value. The product has it's a super plan it, it does so many things and it's not just one part of the industry i think it's the, the the being able to consume it being able to use it as a buyer being able to build with it all of those things together will suddenly say this is a plant we need to just get into production we can't leave it on the sideline anymore and it's not a new product or a new material i think that that's where <laughs> right. you no know, a lot of people in the industry think well i've got hemp and hemp is this shining piece but really what it is is a perfect blend with cotton it's a perfect blend yes. to a rotation on a crop right it's a perfect additive yes. to an existing composite right to reduce carbon footprint or increase its compostability anything like that is yeah. we have a tool at the tip of our fingers to help these existing businesses become more sustainable more profitable um yeah right and, and again yes. trickles down to our consumers right let alone our housing and building crisis <laughs> right right I, I think that's one thing i heard um uh, that in U the Ukraine, that they're rebuilding some of the bombed buildings yeah. with hempcrete because yeah. it's immediately available right now mm -hmm. and they can get hempcrete and, and rebuild right now. I think it's fantastic. Shout out to this another shout out, but Hemp Builders Association working with Sergey to do a lot of that work. Um, yes, it's pretty impressive. Yes. Pretty cool. Yes, he, that's who I heard of Sergey. Yes. Yep. He's pretty far ahead. And, and I know that they're doing a fundraise now. I don't have the link at the tip of my hand, but a fundraise now to raise the money to complete a large facility that they're rebuilding basically or fixing um, for to house people that are now without homes. And so it's cool. Hemp definitely hitting where, where the feelings are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Jimmy, any advice, anything else you want to add before we we log out? We're right at about an hour. And yeah, anything else you want to say? Sure. No, no, I just this is great. I, I would just say for folks, just keep pushing the advocacy and 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 get rid of the stigma that it is a great party favor. I'm not gonna, you know, it is a wonderful party favor, but there is so much more to this plant. Yeah. And and that's part of the advocacy because it will save this gen next generation. It'll save our planet and save our next generation. And we're out of time, you guys. We have to act on this, right? We have to make change in order for us to impact even just the carbon footprint, let alone all of the other things we talked about that will impact. And it's pretty, pretty powerful. Well, I want to remind everybody, we've got another great interview tomorrow with Jacob Waddell, who used to be with U.S. Hemp Builders Association and started a new organization to do the same, really advocate for building materials at or hemp as building material um, to decrease carbon footprint and, you know, increased profitability, the whole piece. So I encourage you guys to participate tomorrow, same time, 10, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, we stream live to YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. If you haven't already, hit the little bell on your LinkedIn or YouTube so it reminds you when we go live again. Um, and then get onto our, our uh, either YouTube channel. There's a lot of other interviews that we've posted. I think we're at like 400 interviews now we've published. And so it's pretty cool, a great, great library. Um, it makes me so proud hearing 
hearing everybody call and say, hey, I've you know watched so many of your videos. It's been a great entry point to learn about the industry and make connections. And so that was really my goal in publishing and getting them out there. And so I just encourage you guys to go find them there as well as on our YouTube, I mean, on our website where you can register for upcoming events uh, next week. We're focused on a Europe market and how it's really changed and developed over the last couple of years and how it's really impacting also pricing here in the United States for herd. And so I'm excited to hear yeah, what that looks like. But Jimmy, thank you so much for joining today. I'd love to stay in touch. I will send you over a couple of email intros for people that I think would be a great resource, at least to get maybe some acres in the ground. And if anybody else needs anything, don't hesitate to reach out to either Jimmy or I. We'd love to support and collaborate. Um, are you going to be at NOCO, Jimmy? I'm not going to be necessarily at NOCO physically. <laughs> but if, there, if there's a virtual way I could be there, I definitely will want to be there. Well, awesome. I don't know what their virtual market or um, schedule looks like. I haven't even looked into it. We're going to be presenting on some of our seed trial data. And so I encourage you guys to join. It'll be on Friday during the ag section, I think Friday afternoon. But I would love to, yeah, I'd love to connect. If you guys are going to be there, um, I and some of our members will be there working our booth. So Jimmy, thank you very, very much. Thank you everybody else for chiming in and listening today. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Mandy. Thank, thank you, you so Jimmy. much. We'll talk soon. All right.